Hey gang, Wonder Rob here, and Shop's here too. This podcast is part of the Geek So To Speak network. Visit GeekSoToSpeak.com for our full podcast lineup. F it, we'll do it live on our camp. <laughs> Aw, yes, have another episode of We Love Comics, the show where we love comics, and you should too. I am one of your hosts, Vactor, and I'm here with the two best comic friends a guy could ever have. Number one, we got Mr. Memphis himself, Marcus Seabury. How you doing, Seabury? Hey, man, you know what I'm saying? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's doing the Memphis voice. Marcus Hustling Flow Seabury is here again. No. 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 <laughs> one more again. And we've got Murphy's Boroughs. No, own. no, no. I live We've in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi's which own. Is, which is like tiny Memphis. Oh, well, we got a we got tiny Memphis in the house. Hunter Camp. <laughs> Big tiny is, Memphis hours. Hunter Camp is a permanent giant sized host. How about that? Yeah. Or We Love Comics, which is our topic shows. So, boys, I'm very glad you're here with me. Uh, but I want to tell everybody that. They can always find us wherever all of your podcasts are found or here on YouTube. If you're watching our lovely faces, you can leave a comment down below and tell us your comics origin story. But let's get right into it, boys. This episode, we're going to be giving all of our origin stories, how we got into comics, how we got into this lovely medium that we all love and crave, Hunter Camp. Yeah. Oh. And I want to start out with Mr. Marcus Seabury because- he had the first origin story out of all of us. So, Seabury, yes, how I'm did you old, get into comics? I'm the old man. I'm 40 plus. All right, check it. Man, it feels like comics have kind of been there all my life. Because, you know, I came up in the era like the three packs from, from Zare. Zare's an old store chain. All right. You had a little rant of three packs. Like, I had a three pack of G.I. Joe issues. I believe Dang. Larry Hummer wrote them. Oh, nice. I was a young man. I wasn't looking at credits. I tried to explain this to Larry Hummer at Dragon Con 2016. I think I pissed him off. Because I, <laughs> I was like, I believe I was reading your stuff, but I ain't know it. Then he made a face. I was like, hold up. I was seven. I didn't understand credits. <laughs> I started reading the word balloons. I ain't. I was like, okay, whoever them folks is. But G.I. Joe. <laughs> um, also, another pivotal one, because, like, look, your boy loved Star Wars. Your boy really loved Return of the Jedi. I, I, Jedi. I had a big storybook that had pretty much steals from the movie. But also, I think it must have been a a four-pack, because I had a four-pack that had the comic book, I guess, uh, miniseries version of Return of the of the Jedi published by Marvel. Oh. Had that joint. Loved it. Loved it a lot. Read it a lot. Tore it up. And I'm bad, because I looked... Because while Googling for this, I saw how much one issue like $325 now. So yeah, I failed. I failed. It's fine. But uh, we all fail. It's it's fine. We all fail. 
But um, so then also there was another. It might have been a DC three pack. It had an issue of World Finest where Superman and Batman fought the adored one. The adored one was a sentient black cloud. Oh, dang. And, like, this issue stuck with me because Superman's trying to find Batman. He was kidnapped by the adored one. I'm talking, he frantically searching. This the old JLA, you know, satellite headquarters in the area. He on all the computers. And the Flash say something sarcastic. He get pissed off, swing on the Flash. But, of course, he the Flash. He don't hit him. But then <laughs> Superman, being Superman feel bad. Oh, my God, Barry Vacan. He like, he like, he like, trick on the Flash. <laughs> I wasn't going to connect. But if I was human, I'd be dead. So, work on that. Um, and, like, that has shaped my view of Superman and Batman. Like, I like them as friends. That's how I mm. knew them. This whole rivalry stuff kind of started with post-crisis and burn and all that. I ain't, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of it. But also in that three-pack, there was the DC Comics Presents where Superman teamed up with Green Arrow. And that messed me up, too, because Green Arrow on Super Friends was all swashbuckling and like, oh, yeah. and like Errol Flynn adjacent. This was a straight, like, Super liberal hippie <laughs> green, I mean, green arrow. So that yeah. like tripped me out. And then there was also in this three pack an issue of Detective Comics where Batman teams up with Ragman. And there's a point where each of them wears the other one's costume. Hey. Yeah. Um, and then. And I got that in second grade. And then in the summer between second and third grade, I was at a store in Somerville, and I got another random three-pack. This where, one had, Where were you getting all these three-packs? Like, the, I thought it was just the, the one-store thing, but it's everywhere? They, there was the place where I mainly got them, but there were a lot of, like, little random three-packs, like, in the 80s, man. Like, a little yeah. store. So this was like a little, like, I guess what would be a quickie mark today. Oh. So I got this three-pack. Were they in spinner racks? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, it, oh we'll be talking about spinner racks. So it had yeah. Star Wars Volume 1, number 73. This is my first, like, regular issue of the Star Wars comic. I ain't know where it fit in it, because, you know, I'm... I'm I'm buying three pack stuff out, outdated. You know, I never read whole stories. But also, in this three pack was Fantastic Four Volume One, number two hundred and fifty nine. This is when they first come back from from the negative zone doing John Burns' run, oh. and their costumes changed. I think they were supposed to be black, but in my mind, I always thought they were navy blue with like the white gloves. Yeah. But so 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 and of course I tore up that issue too and I <laughs> it's worth a lot. But it's fine. <laughs> but uh but uh yeah man, so it was that stuff and then I would just get oh and my first subscription came because I was I was getting the superpowers toys and they came with many comics. 
Nice. There, yeah, I remember that. There's a subscription off on the back. And I was like, I think I'd seen the issue of Batman and the Outsiders on the um on the on the newsstand at like a Kroger. And I was like, yeah, that name sound cool, because you know I knew that was that movie called the Outsiders. I was like, yeah, I want to subscribe to Batman <laughs> and the Outsiders. And that became the first comic I ever subscribed to. Also, the first time I saw the artwork of the amazing Alan Davis. So, you know, at this point, I mean, I'm finally, you know, getting whole stories because I subscribed to the book. Let that Mm -hmm. subscription run out. Um, My cousin Eugene kind of shamed me to give Marvel a try. I bought, like, some... Web of Spider-Man issue where he fought some alien, and an amazing Spider-Man issue that was in the middle of uh, this thing called Gang War, where uh, Spider-Man thinks he's fighting the Kingpin, but it's Daredevil in a fat suit. <laughs> and, what? <laughs> and then the issue of Classic <laughs> X-Men, which was a reprint book, and. Maybe like a year later, I was like, you know what? I want to start buying comics on a monthly basis. So, grade oh, at 11, I started. I bought it. Remember, I bought an issue with Captain America. This is when he had given up the suit and he was dressed as the captain, the suit that the U.S. agent wears now. Oh, uh, yeah. And. This is also the issue where uh, Black Panther constructed him a vibranium shield, and he sent two of his operatives oh, to 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 give it to Steve Rogers. That was also my first time seeing the Black Panther. Like, nice. hey, that guy's cool. <laughs> he looks cool. And um, my first regular issue of X Men that I bought um. It was called Twas the Night. Um, Longshot accidentally discovers the Reavers' treasure trove. Uh, the Reavers were these evil cyborg dudes who were steal from folks and stuff. The X-Men beat them up, threw them out, and they took over their this little Australian outback town that they were living in. The X-Men took it over because they were like, this going to be our base? Because the world thought they were dead because of Father of the Mutants when Forge and kind of turned them into energy to to destroy this otherworldly being called the adversary. So, right, Longshot wow. followed the treasure trove. Longshot's mutant power is psychometry, where if he touches an object, he will get the history of the object. So, this overloaded him. You know, he passed out. Then they decided, hey, we're going to do the right thing and return all the <laughs> treasures and artifacts to their. Descendants, and you know, it's a Christmas issue, and um, and I think I bought like a issue of was it Spectacular Spider Man or something? Because it wasn't until the next month that I <laughs> that I got my first regular issue of Amazing, and I first saw Todd McFarlane's artwork. Ooh-wee. Yeah, so that's the stuff. Like I remember, and I'm sorry. Like, I know it was a lot, but like I said, I've been pretty much reading 
all my life. And those were like the pivotal, formative ones that like shaped me. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Seabury. And I, like I said in a previous episode, I think you are the only comics friend that I have that has been consecutively reading from that time until now. There was no breaks. Like myself. Since uh, 88, dude. Since since 88. Now, there might have been a few months in between like when I was in seventh grade, so my mom was like, "You can't buy no comics because you gotta save your money to buy people Christmas presents." But I think I was still subscribing to like X Factor back then, so I, mm. so so like I I read Inferno from X Factor's point of view. <laughs> it's all I had wow. at first. Yeah, but like I said, myself and Mister Hunter Camp have been gone the last five years. Yes. You got snapped away by Thanos, but we're back. It's, true. it's five years later and we're back. Hunter <laughs> Camp. So this my my story with comics is like nothing but like ups and downs and going away and coming back and, and doing all sorts of things, right? Um from back as far as I can remember, right? Um, I've read comics in some way, you know? Uh, so when I was a kid born in 1983, um, probably around when I was like eight years old, I got like into comics. Now, um, the way that that initially happened was two things. And it was specifically uh, the Batman 1966 TV show. Ooh-wee. Yes, so that was on reruns on like Fox Family and like those different types of uh, like Family Channel type of deals, and then AMC. Like we would get we when we finally got cable, um, I would or like when we would randomly get cable, um, would show the 1966 Batman movie, and so we oh. taped it like we put it on a, like a VHS cassette, and I wore that thing out completely. And we even accidentally recorded the music video for the Adams Family rap by MC Hammer in there. Yeah. So there was this one specific part where <laughs> uh, the, um, like, not Commissioner Gordon, but the like, I, I for, for the life of me right now, I can't remember. But the 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 police officer that's like the the Irish police officer in the show, um, like list off. Uh, the Joker, the the Joker, the Riddler, two Catwoman, and like lists off all the people that have escaped, and then it goes directly into the Adams Family rap, and so like, what? yeah, so that's how it worked because we yeah. accidentally recorded over it. Um, so <laughs> that and the um the 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 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon show, yeah. right? Those were the two things that brought me in, and the way they brought me in is I was familiar enough with Batman to where I started reading like random Batman comics. And the, 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 the earliest thing that I remember, and you asked for the comic book covers uh, that like were the ones that stuck out to us. Yeah. So Batman 415 is the comic book and it's uh, that's stuck in my head. Right. So like when I think of Batman, I think of this specific comic book cover because I was in a Jitney jungle 
um, in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's like actually the 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 it's changed the name several times, um, but it's a grocery store here that's like a small like local neighborhood grocery store, and it's still the one that I go to now. But when I was a kid, uh, they had a newsstand and spinner racks, yeah, right? So I'm from I used to yeah. Their so I'm store Mega Market in the summer of '94. That was my first job out of high school. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So they had they had these these comics in there, and I'm familiar with Batman because of the show, and I'm familiar with uh, Ninja Turtles because of that. So I start reading like a, the occasional comic book, uh, and go every month and like pick up stuff. And if I was sick, my mom would like they she would always call it, or my dad, my parents would always call it like get me a happy. Like so, if I was sick or didn't feel good or something like that, it would be like a small little present. That would be either like an action figure or uh, like a comic book. So those were like things that like we didn't necessarily buy a lot, um, but like on the like the odd occasion we would get this random thing. So after reading this stuff for a while, I see Batman number four fifteen, which is like to me like one of the weirdest comic book covers because it's like Batman and Robin falling down in this like almost spirally white and pink uh lines and it's just so strange to me um and it stuck in my mind i was just like what is this and then um later and i think it was like right after this like i went to go look for it or whatever and i think i still i think i actually might have this one because the cover art just appealed to me so much that i just like when somebody says comic book cover like this is the initial thing that i think of it's like what got you into comics this cover got me into comics. I don't remember the comic book. Like it's a, it's a Starlin book. So it's going to be pretty good. Uh, it's a Starlin and Aparo book. So it's probably good. Um, but I've never gone back to read it or anything like that, but this, I may have bought it, it was 75 cents at the time. So I hope so. Um, but overall it was just really, it was so cool to me and was so hypnotizing um, because I don't, I still don't understand what it is, uh, <laughs> but like, yeah uh but while that was going on around the same time and this is i think late 80s um in detective there was uh like a scarecrow story going on and again i'm a little kid like i'm not even 10 years old yet like i'm like eight or something right and um i picked up and went to it like i didn't actually buy it but i went and like i would read comic books in the store because also like you know we're not necessarily buying a lot of stuff um so i read it and it was a scarecrow book in the eighties and it terrified me. Like it absolutely like horrified me. I was so scared because scarecrow at the time, like if you're familiar with Batman, like the way he was drawn, he was like really thin and like the, like almost like a ghastly type he of face right um, looked real. Was that, I, I think so. I think so. But it was during that era. Yeah. It was during that era and he just was scary. And so I didn't understand. And then when I talk, I remember this conversation too, I talked to my dad. I'm like, why is this comic book so scary? And he was like, I think that like Batman is the, and so I've always understood this, like Batman would be like the more like all ages comic and detective is the more like adult themed comic. Hmm. And so that's what it, that's what made sense to me as a child, but that's how he explained it. My dad wasn't like a really big comic book reader. So I don't know how he would know this, but like, <laughs> I think he just assumed that. Um, but I think he was right. It was um, like the, the first issue of Detective I bought was in '89. Bray Fogle drew it. It was a uh, yeah. It was dealing with a uh, Jason Blood and the Demon Etrigan. Yeah, 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 
Yeah, so I think that I think he might have been right because I think Detective was more serious and like uh, dark. Um, but at the same time, the 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 uh, they also had all of the animated style TMNT comics, and so that was the one that I read like everything. And then it got to the point where I think the store stopped getting them, so I didn't know where else to go. Right. Um, because like the only place I knew where to buy comics was the, the grocery store. Um, so from that point, we kind of like, I got my dad to look into it cause my dad, but like my parents were great. Like there, there's obviously like, there's, you know, parent parental stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, like they would do whatever to make sure that like we could find stuff and they're like me in the fact that it's like, if they don't know, they're going to find out. Right. Uh, so we found a comic book store like that was pretty much in our neighborhood. Like it was like, not very far, but we didn't know what a comic book store was. Um, but it's called the Star Store in Jackson, Mississippi. So this is like this became like kind of, not my home, but I went there as much as possible. Uh, so at that point, I found accidentally found because I was looking for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. Like I found the adult one the one that was like the daredevil style right um so i found that tmnt the black and white ones like i have issue two of that um because i didn't know what i was reading and so i just picked it up and i was like oh and it was also one of those ones that was really dark so like this is kind of where i discovered that comic books could be dark also um and i started that actually kind of started to appeal to me um fast forward a little bit because this is around I guess it was around 89. Uh, so the Batman movie came out. I did not see Batman 89 in theaters. Um, my neighbors got, had HBO. We didn't because we didn't have the money for HBO. Um, so they actually taped the Batman 89 when it came on HBO and they recorded it and brought it over and like showed it to us. And so this was like my first experience with like, live action dark batman um so from that point Mm. i got really into like the adams family and the comic strips that were like associated with adams family from like the 60s or whatever um then batman 80 or the batman 1992 well batman returns came out batman returns really was the thing that kicked me into like general comics that wasn't teenage mutant the teenage mutant ninja turtles um because i got like marcus was saying for um like return of the jedi they had the comic adaptation of batman returns and i read that thing seven million times so like if we went on a trip for my brother while he was in band like um i would be reading that um if we did anything like i read that comic like a thousand times uh because that was what i knew so i read that so many times so having gotten that from the star store I actually went back to the star store repeatedly and discovered x-men through the animated series and then going and finding it and if i'm not mistaken the thing that yeah. came out around the same time the bet the uh, x-men animated series was going on was generation x in 1994 um so that was that was the other thing that got me too because i mean like i was paying attention to like alternative music and like the terminology that was used so generation x was thrown around uh there was a band called like degeneration 
and then like another band that was called like generation x and stuff like that and i was like oh these are punk bands this is really cool um so i tied that together and then like i read as much as possible of the tie-ins with generation x so it was really that reinvention of everything that was going on in 1994 with x-men that got me reading like monthly and then i found a comic book store and then the comic book store closed and there was no more and that was the first hiatus for me from comic books um fast forward and that must have been so i was 12 in 1994 so it probably would have been like 1995-1996 when i stopped reading so i was like 12 or 13 um when i stopped reading right and then there was one day where i went to books a million in jackson mississippi it's still open which is great actually one of my friends is is like one of the managers there now which is funny um but i was what year this is i'm getting there but it's like around 99 so a few years go by i was probably around 18 or 17 um i was walking in books a million and by this point like i had gotten super into like like dark stuff um like scary stuff i'd gotten super into halloween um and just like horror movies and things like that and i also like just generally liked batman like i always loved batman so i was walking around books a million and i went through and found like their comic book section and i was like huh this is pretty cool and this is the first trade paperback that i ever bought first collected edition outside of batman returns um it was batman the long halloween so that was my oh, reintroduction. Yeah. And so from that point, like, that's when I was like, okay, what is like, what is a trade paperback? Like, this is very cool. And so like, re- you know, got the occasional thing, um, found a couple of comic book, like comic book stores, and then just kind of like dip my toes back into it. But that was the big thing that was like, oh, this is huge. Right. Uh, and so that was like 98, 99. And then um went to like you know pick the occasional comic book up nothing serious and then fast forward a long time i would go to the occasional comic book store i would pick up like a random issue of like batman or detective or like x-men or something just like something random but then um i started to make a lot of friends online uh through an application called twitter and two of the people that i made friends with are on this podcast right here and some of the other ones are past that. So uh, William Goodman, who I don't know if you brought up on this, but also was he's very loud supporter of Jeff Johns and his huh. uh, his Green Lantern run and what led into Blackest Night. So I was like, OK, well, this is a good starting point to kind of get into something. And I had been doing a podcast and I was like, OK, well, it'd be funny if like I just went into this and acted like I didn't know who any of these people are. And then like a joke thing called Hunter Camp Reviews Comics. And it was like, I didn't know what I was talking about. And so it was just funny to just get on there and just be like, well, I don't know who any of these people are. And like, I read a little bit, but then that kind of, one of the things that was going around on around the time Blackest Night uh, was happening was Batman R.A.P. And that happened like right around that same time. It's written by Grant Morrison. And I discovered Grant Morrison. And then that changed my life and my mind and the way I view artwork the way I view storytelling, the way I view the world. So Grant Morrison's, the, the kind of the end thing was Grant Morrison's uh, Batman run. So like that whole run was the thing that got me straight back into reading every Batman book, reading other stuff, going into other things, finding writers and people that were kind of inspired by Grant Morrison's older work, and then going back and reading like new X-Men and then Animal Man and then The Invisibles 
and Doom Patrol and then looking into Doom Patrol and then finding other issues of Doom Patrol and why Doom Patrol was so cool. And it's like the DC's version of X-Men, except for they're all weirdos. Like that was, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is what comics can be. Comics can be like, it can be scary. It can be weird. It can be a story about storytelling. Like it can be about uh, like theology. It can be about anything you want it to be. And it's not just something that can happen in superhero comics. Like that can happen outside of it because, you know, reading something like the invisibles and realizing that that is a completely uh, different world. So you find indie stuff, you find Sandman, like I'm finally able to, like I'm finally going through and reading Sandman, but like all of that stuff really just changed my mind um and showed me the potential of what this can be and what kind of an art form this is so like there have been like several times where i've gone and read stories and gone and read like a run of a character or uh, a team or anything like that but when i got to grant morrison and his story with batman and kind of the love letter to batman's history and all of the weirder parts of batman like that's really what did it for me and now like and, and so like i haven't been reading weekly in a really long time and that's why i'm not on the pull list episodes but like even during that break i was still reading like trades and you know random stuff like southern bastards and um like not like not chew but like the uh rob gilroy like his side stuff like oh, his okay. weirder stuff that was cool right. Um, but yeah, like all of that other stuff, man, like that's, that's where I've been. So, okay. Yeah. But it's, it's more, it's really Morrison. Yeah. I was going to say it started with Batman and then also Batman pulled you back in. Yeah. And now each time, each time it's been Batman, even with the Batman, which came out earlier (laughs) this year. Um, another bat thing that kind of pulled Hunter camp back in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Marcus, because uh, you was listing stores. I'm like, man, I'm gonna keep it a book. Like I say, I was getting joints as there, but also there was a super D in Collierville. <laughs> walk. Yeah, super D. Yeah, the yeah, it's like Eckerd's yeah. and super D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super D got like you get random stuff there too. Walmart was doing three packs oh, nice. in the early nineties, but I ain't really fooled with them. But now Kroger, the Kroger in Kyrieville in like ninety two, ninety three, they made like a nice little comic section. They weren't spinner racks; they were like the stable racks. And you be like, ah. and I was like, ah, yeah. you know. So I got those. And of course, um, now the first comic book store I ever went to was. It was one of the Memphis Comics and Records. I believe it was the one on Highland. Because back in the day, they had about three or four. And they all went away, and they just had the one on Highland. And now that one is gone, too. But, of course, now yeah. my um, my LCS now is uh, Comics and Collectibles in Memphis which is a great store. Whenever yeah, I shout out to Memphis, my to uh, departed college roommate, David Harrison, because he put me on. I remember in the fall of like 96, he was like, man, let me show you this store. And I was just like, oh my God, this store is so great. But I couldn't really buy a lot of stuff because I was broke because I went to summer school that summer. <laughs> I, I didn't work. And that, that, 
that story is the reason we know each other, see, because we met in comics. And I think Chris was doing Geekland. Yes, my former comic book podcast. And the way that I found them was I had just moved from Arizona. I had Atomic Comics in Arizona, which was my favorite shop. And I moved to Memphis and I said, okay, I got to find. That was one of the first things I did. Let me look up Mm -hmm. on the internet what's the local comic book shop. And it was Comics and Collectibles. And there was another one, which now I I don't even remember the name of it because I went to it. I saw it and I was like, all right, I'm not going back here. When I went to Comics and Collectibles, as soon as I stepped in the door, I was like, "This is the this is my type of comic book shop." So, yeah, huge amount of memories for me with comics and collectibles. Um, so I guess we can get to my origin story now. Yeah, I my earliest memory of comic books is Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven. That one is well. That one is the one where Superman is holding Supergirl. Yeah. And she had died. So what's interesting about that is like the the stuff that Morrison did made me go back and read uh, like yeah. Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I didn't know it was part of a crossover. I had no idea. I was just like, oh, that's Superman. Because I that was my first physical comic book. But my dad had introduced me to comics before that. He was a comic reader when he was growing up. So I was always around Superman, always around Batman and the Flash. Those are my dad's favorites and Spider-Man. So my dad took me to the, we were on a military base in Japan. And it was the, what would we, the quickie mart of that military installation was the little, they call it the shopette. And that's where they had food, conveniences and all this stuff. But they had spinner racks. And so Christ on Infinite Earth, number seven, which I wish I had kept it. I got it, but no idea what happened to that issue. But the thing that stood out to me was that Superman was crying. And I said, to, as a, as a seven year old, what would make Superman cry? Like to me, that was mind blowing that something could make Superman cry. So that was a huge issue for me. I remember looking at the cover like over and over again. Um, the other one was the adventures of Superman number four sixty three. This was the first post-crisis race between the Flash and Superman. And so on the cover, it says, who really is the fastest man alive, the Man of Steel or the Flash? And I was Superman through and through at that time. Um, But now going back, and and it's funny because there's been so many races between them, but this was the one that will always stand out to me because of the artwork. Um, It was actually written and drawn by Dan Juergens. And this was the Wally West Flash. Like, I didn't know... This was a different Flash than the Barry Allen Flash because the, another big thing for me was the superpowers figures. And like Seabury said, the yeah. ones that came with the little comic book, those were also a huge influence on me. Reading the characters' origin stories in those little comic books was a huge thing for me. So I was like, I had pretty much all of them um, at the time. And, and those, actually, I was looking at them just now when I was doing some research for this episode. And I was like, Oh, they've re-released. Yeah, them. some of them are like re- yeah. get some of these, scoop these up. Yeah, man, they're good repro- like reproductions of them. Really, yeah, I real need good. to look for that. But do they know. come with the comics or no? I don't know. Um, I haven't seen anything about that. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, but like, I didn't. I I'm didn't grow up. With those, so I don't really. I only got point. three superpowers figures in my life. I had the Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. 
Nice. Yeah, the ones that stand out to me was Superman, because I remember his cape came off. Batman, because his cape came off. Uh-huh. Uh, Flash. I actually had Dr. Fate, uh, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Lex Luthor, Firestorm. And those were the ones that, like, those images of them, those costumes, were the ones that were cemented in my mind for years because of that. I got a question for you, okay? Because, yes. like, I don't remember the superhero, like, the superpowers figures. But... You mentioned a couple, the Batman with the, with the cape that comes off and Firestorm. Uh, was the Batman with like, was that one blue? Yeah. Was it gray and yes, blue? It was the gray and blue cape. I may have Batman. actually had those, like, because I remember I had a Firestorm figure and like, I didn't know who the hell that was. You know, me like, me either. yeah, yeah. I, I didn't just... know who Dr. Fate was. I didn't know who Firestorm was. Yeah, but I don't even think I had the boxes. Like, I don't think I ever opened well, them. I think that they were I just like loose. Firestorm was around that time, but. <laughs> He deserves well, it, not us. Well, well now nah, because like um there was a version of Super Friend that was called Super Friend the Legendary Superpower Show. And they introduced Firestorm on that show. He becomes like oh, okay. a young member of the Super Friends. And then the next season, which was the last season, the title of the show becomes Superpowers Galactic Guardians. And they introduced Cyborg. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a crazy name what? for a show. Dang. I'm looking at these now. They're going for like 700 on Dude, eBay. Uh, <laughs> Don't He's be about to get mad. Like, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to be doing? Yeah, you're right. What are you going to do? I actually play with my toys and read my comics. It was wrong. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But the comic. Those comics were so important to me because in they shaped my what I thought was the origin of these characters. I was like, these never change. They're always the same origins. They're always the same people. So uh, for me, those those figures were huge. I had that Batmobile. Ooh. Okay. That, yeah, I had that Batmobile. And I think I had the Robin. You know what? I may not what have had the with- Batman, but I had the Robin. Okay. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I was always more of a figure <laughs> than vehicle guy. I would get like Second-hand vehicle. Well, no. My mom bought well, it me a G.I. Joe motorcycle, and she bought me the Fang helicopter. <laughs> was- nice. And I so, was also, I was going to say, I was also big into uh, Ninja Turtles, just like you yeah. guys, G.I. Joe, just like you guys, He-Man. So it was, it was a lot of those cartoons that had tie-ins with action figures. Mm-hmm. Those were uh, big for me. They weren't, you know, I wasn't reading the comics of those. Yeah. They were influenced. You see, but I was a heavy. So this is like $700. By the time the Ninja Turtles miniseries dropped. So I never oh, owned man. any. I I had the, uh, I had the, the, the van. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And all the parts remember, fell off. <laughs> I remember my neighbor had the van, but I was like, Oh man, he must be rich. Dude, and like when I go back and know how much like this type of stuff costs, like my parents like must have done a lot because we didn't we did not have a lot of money. I said my cousin had metalhead, the robot turtle. Oh yeah, yes, I had that too. Yeah, Yeah, turtles were big for me. Like now, I was watching a cartoon. I know it, and my mom took me to see the first movie theatrically. That was when I was in eighth grade. Oh, nice. You know. Um, nice. 
I saw the second one. Oh, she took me to see the second one, DX. <laughs> Which I didn't know came out the next year. I was just watching a re um a recap on YouTube and they're like, Yeah, it came out the next year. They were they forced it into theaters, like they rushed it into production. But you know, to me as a kid, I was like, Oh, this is great. Secret oh, of the cool. Ooze, Vanilla Ice. Oh yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> those movies were great. <laughs> so those were like I said, a lot of I had a huge DC um influence when I was a kid, but also Spider Man was always in the background. I don't remember what the first Spider Man thing was. Yeah. Maybe it was the electric company when Spider Man was running around. And um the the eighties Spider Man cartoon, Spider Man His Amazing Friends, and then the sixties yeah. cartoon in reruns I would watch. Um so those were also influencing me at that time. I never had this one. Because it came out in August of 1966, but a hugely influential cover for me was Amazing Spider-Man number 39. That's the one where Green Goblin is holding him, and he's got his mask off, and he's he's flying him on the the Goblin glider, and he's and half of his costume is sticking out, and he's in his street clothes. But I was like, he's gonna be. They're gonna find out who Peter Parker is. He's gonna. His secret identity. So I was like going crazy as a kid. Um, He's going to have to erase everybody's memory. (laughs) That would come later, Hunter Camp. But that was a huge one for me. The uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 39. And then the very first issue, I had to look this up because at the time, I didn't know what number these were and what series they were. Amazing Spider-Man number 261 from... February of 1985. So I was three years old when this came out. My dad bought it for me, but it was in German. So that was what I remembered about it because my dad was in the Air Force. So we were always um, in a different country. I wish I had kept that issue. Yeah, that one I would really would love to have kept if I were you. Um, That one, it has the Hobgoblin on the cover and he's holding Spider-Man. Like, it looks like he just beat him and he's holding him. So I was like, what? How did he, how did he get beaten? So all these books, like the covers, were great at telling the story yeah. and capturing your interest. Um, so those were all of my original comics origin stories. Like I said, I was like seven, around seven or eight at the time. And then I just kind of gradually fell out of it. I started getting into basketball, girls, things like that. Um, and then what brought me back into comics was a trifecta of things. Number one was the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Mm. Number two, Ultimate Spider-Man mm. by Brian Michael Bendis. And then number three, podcast. And yeah. in particular, so when podcasting came out in 2005, when it when it became available in iTunes, because it was around before that, but once it became available in iTunes, it was easy to get it on your iPod and you could listen to podcasts. So I was like, oh, well, what am I interested in? All right. There's like, all right, there's comedy, sports, movies, television. Oh, I'm I'm getting back into comic books. Let me look up comic book podcasts. And I found Comic Geek Speak. And the way that their show was is even to this day, I'm still trying to model our show around that. And they, they're still doing it. Um it's it's not like they went away, but it's not it's none of it's not a uh the original host like it was when I was listening to it it's a group of guys who feel like they're in a comic book shop and they're just talking to each other about the comics that are coming out. They talk about previews, talk about movies. And that was the feel that I always loved because they knew 
about all these comics that I, I wasn't reading, you know, I, I didn't have the knowledge of, and they were giving me that knowledge. So I was soaking it up and like, Oh, this book is good. This book is good. Like I would write down, Oh, which books are good. Go to my local library, check them out, read them, and then listen to the episodes that they talked about those books. So that was a hugely influential thing for me. And they were nice enough to record a bumper for us when we did, when we had the Geekland podcast in Memphis, they recorded a great, they did this Elvis impersonation. They're like, I'm going to Geekland. So I was hugely thankful to those guys. But that was something that I could listen to and and learn about comics, listen to other guys geeking out about comics. And I felt a sense of community because I didn't know anyone. Um, I was in Arizona at, at that time, and I didn't know anyone who also likes comic books. So listening to these other guys that, had these this wealth of knowledge and they were kind of just sharing the, their love of comics and this medium and that's when i started to branch out kind of like hunter long halloween dark knight returns you know went through all the classics as well as the current books now this was around the time of um what was the crisis before 52 do you guys know it was like was infinite, infinite crisis yeah, the, there was crisis. Identity and Infinite that happened, I think. Yeah, prior. Identity Crisis was great. That was yeah. one I read too. But it was Infinite Crisis. This was around that time, mm-hmm. um, just to show you where I was. So Ultimate Spider-Man, like retelling Spider-Man in the, the 2000s, that just made me you know, fall in love with Brian Michael Bendis, fall in love with Mark Bagley, which I had... I, I forgot Mark Bagley was doing art when I was reading before Amazing Spider-Man. And I had a subscription, Seabury. The only subscription I had was Amazing Spider-Man, so it would come in the mail. I remember Amazing Spider-Man 400 being wrinkled up and bent up in my mailbox, which I don't know. I, I think I sold that one. But yeah, um, those all of those things were hugely influential on me and getting me back into comics. And now we're doing it all over again, Hunter I, Camp. We're I got to give I got to give it up one more because like we didn't say this and none of us mentioned it, but um, X two, the X Men yeah. movie, but X two specifically oh, like not. kicked me back in because mm. it brought up all the characters from my like from when I was a kid, oh. and because like and you, we you all... had Nightcrawler too, because yeah. like Nightcrawler wasn't in the first one, so it was like uh, that further exploration of like the further out characters like that was what there there was a hint of jubilee and i was like oh man i love jubilee so yeah like those those I types of things read, were those, but those i did love were movie yeah yeah i was a huge fan of x-men one at the time so when x-men two came out i was like yes yeah and i yeah go ahead go, i was gonna okay. say i liked blade but i didn't associated with marvel or with comic yeah. books so yeah x-men one for me was the one that i was like yes the, uh, but that didn't get me reading comics like i said yeah x spider-man was one that got me to read right, comics right yeah x-men two like the reason it, that did it for me was because like because like i was saying like you started to deal with like more like more characters mm-hmm. like and they like in the first one you kind of got the ones you would expect right but yeah with two it was just like just non-stop awesome yeah because that was the thing too it was like i don't i always want to see like i want to see characters that i wouldn't necessarily expect to see Mm -hmm. and spider-man we saw spider-man that's obvious that feels obvious you know batman feels obvious superman um but when you got to x-men you expect to see wolverine and cyclops and jean gray and all them on storm 
But then when it went further in, it's like that's where it blew. I was up. just glad to see yeah. movies, particular Marvel movies, getting wide releases and making a profit. Because I was yeah. the guy reading comic oh, yeah. scene back in the day, and they're gonna make this, and they're gonna make that, and did like. Well, Wizard. I'm seeing predates Wizard, but yeah, I was reading Wizard too. Uh, and like, yeah, Wizard got like, like, yeah. I remember them talking about the Harvey Corman directed Fantastic Four, but I never saw it. Which oh, is a I, masterpiece. I, I mean, <laughs> I'd love it. It's bad, but it's charming. I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh, like one of the worst movies. And like then I find <laughs> then I think my mama rented me that horrible Captain America with ooh, <laughs> yeah, and I was just like I have that on know, DVD. I would always see these okay. and I'd just be like But you know, I accepted them because that's all we had. Like like when the hook yeah. came back with Thor and they brought the incredible hook back with Daredevil and I was like, Yeah, yeah, I mean Daredevil's costume looks weird, but hey, it's Daredevil. And hey, Street Hawk can play Daredevil. <laughs> I was like, I'm with it. But like, Blade kind of it carries weight with me because I was like, oh, so a Marvel movie is straight up coming to the movie theater. Like, it's really coming this time. And oh, then I saw it like, oh, yeah, I liked it. Then I was like, because I think Blade had been in the Midnight Suns books. I didn't read them, but I was always reading bullpen bulletins and comic shop news. So I was aware of them. And then it was like, oh, like I said, hey, a Marvel movie coming to the movie theater. Oh, it's good. Oh, other folks think it's good. I was like, oh, crap. Then, of course, X-Men. <laughs> I didn't I didn't love the first X-Men, but I was glad it existed. But then X2 came and then freaking opened the sequence with Nightcrawler. So Yeah, oh, so, so like that's where I was, man. I was just I was just glad to I guess see Marvel's glow up, if you will. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was something that was huge for me too when comic book movies started to be taken more seriously and started to get love at the box office. I was buying tickets for Spider-Man and going and seeing other movies, Hunter Camp. I was not seeing Spider-Man, but I wanted yeah. them to benefit from the box office. Right. So that was where my head was at. So when Spider the, when the Tobey Maguire's were coming out, I was huge. In yeah. Those. The the funny thing is I did the opposite with the Wolverine movie. Like I didn't pay for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those were our comics origin stories, my friends. Like I said, feel free to let us know yours if you want to leave a comment down below here on the YouTube channel and subscribe to us wherever your podcasts are found. Hunter Camp. That's me. Where can they find you streaming? You can find me in a lot of different places. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Hunter Camp, uh, Instagram at I am Hunter Camp. And I just love that name, I am Hunter Camp, so much that I use it on uh, Twitch, where you can go to twitch.tv forward slash I am Hunter Camp and follow me. Um, I'm ultimately trying to get to 100. Yeah. And if I do, uh, so like I can monetize the people watch it normally, like regularly. Um, but if I get to 100, I'm going to dress up as an assassin from Assassin's Creed 
and play Assassin's Creed all day and just let people make fun of me the whole time. Oh, uh, yeah, you <laughs> so heard that's the plan. it here first. And that's for followers, so it doesn't even have to be subscriptions or anything like Follow that. Follow Hunter Camp yeah. on Twitch. All right. Mr. Marcus Seabury. Yes, where yes. Where can they you find, can find you me on Cinesundry? That is a show I do in conjunction with On Location Memphis. Uh, it's a Yes, dropped your Doctor, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness dropped recently. Um, you know, you can find it on the On Location Memphis Facebook page and on the On Location Memphis YouTube channel. Um, you know, just they're an organization about music and movies and bringing events. You know, we try to try to try to bring a little culture to the M Town. Check me out there. Um, huh? Nice. You have a lot. Oh yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. There's a lot of cultural. Um, and then you know, I be acting and stuff. So, Orange Mount Bound is an animated <laughs> project that I'm a part of. I'm the dad of one of the main characters. We are proud. Fun- and, uh, nice. That sounds so. Yeah, good. trying that to so trying perfect. to finish that and bring that to you. So that's where I am. Don't forget, I am part of a Geek So To Speak podcast network where you can find all of the shows at geeksotospeak.com slash network. You can find our Star Trek show, Technological. You can find our video game show, Sandbox Gamers, or this show right here. We love comics. And Hunter Camp, you have something? Yeah, Sandbox, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a game video game person, and Sandbox Gamers is fantastic. Thank like, you. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, so you can find all those wherever your podcasts are found, or like I said, geeksodaspeak.com slash network. And we have one final thing to say to the audience out there. We love comics. And you, and you should too. Yay!